to Mental Selling, the sales performance podcast, a show from Integrity Solutions. This is a podcast for passionate leaders in sales and customer service who are driven by purpose, not just a paycheck. People who want to create broader and deeper connections with customers and their teams by building trust and mastering the critical mental and emotional sides of sales. Ready to rise up to the top of your game? Let's get right into the show. Why words you choose matter more than you think in sales? How word choices can make or break the ability to establish and elevate trust with customers? And the surprising power of no-oriented questions. Thank you for joining us from wherever you are and whenever you're listening. I'm Will Milano with Integrity Solutions, and joining me today is Stephen Lozada, a very well-respected executive and team performance coach. Stephen is a sales training facilitator and the co-founder and president of the firm Upward Mindset. Welcome, Stephen. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you. It really is a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, You are also a certified coach in what's called conversational intelligence. Maybe we should actually start there. Can you talk about what conversational intelligence is? Sure. Actually, um, conversational intelligence was and is uh, the brainchild of Dr. Judith Glazer, the late Dr. Judith Glazer. And uh, a number of years ago, she she wrote a book titled Conversational Intelligence. And I remember reading the book and falling in love with the contents, which was really around the neuroscience of conversations. How can we use words to change worlds? And how can we engage with people to have more impact, greater influence in a trust-based way? Uh, and so that caught my attention. And uh, later on with WBEX, they put on um, a training program, a certification program to learn her tools, her frameworks, her methods. And so I went through the program and uh, it was, again, one of those life-changing moments for me that changed my career and also has improved my life both at home and in the workplace. <laughs> so it's, it's a great jumping off point because the central theme of, again, this episode is around how salespeople think about and choose the words that they use in customer conversations. So let's let's jump right in. I wanna get your perspective about how the right words in sales conversations elevate what you have called trust equity and what you've also described as um, being more influential with quote with less stress could you expand upon that yeah i certainly can um so I, as i mentioned earlier right uh judith uh, coined the term uh, words create worlds and uh that was impactful for me and and again i think that that's what uh, we're doing inside of sales conversations particularly um we are trying to utilize words so that people can picture themselves either doing something enjoying something gaining something, saving something, achieving something. Uh, we may not be able to put them contextually in a, in a specific place, but with our words, we can create a connection that the person can now begin to imagine, to begin to taste, see, feel, sense, what it looks like for them to make a, a decision. Um, mm-hmm. And so using the right words to be able to do that is going to be very critical. Um, and then I, I would say that, uh, and I know we'll probably get into some some other details around this, but it's it's finding the right words, but then also finding the way the other person is listening, mm-hmm. connecting to the listening in the other person so that those words now can connect in a way that the person is listening to you. 
uh, inside of Integrity Selling, inside of Integrity Solutions, the, the, the training programs, we talk about communication styles and adapting to certain communication styles. So when you bring those two things together, when we're able to utilize words in a strategic, compassionate way, and we're able to connect to the other person's communication style, we're able then to elevate trust equity. And something you, you said about communication styles, which I think is an, it's an interesting point. A lot of time people think about communication styles as just talking, but part of communication styles is how people listen, right? People listen in different ways too. A absolutely. And it, that's, a, that's a big part of one of my uh, specialties and concentrations as a professional certified coach is in ontological coaching. Um, and, and ontology is the way of being. And one of the principles that we talk about inside of ontological coaching is that um, listening is what produces my speaking. So if I'm really connecting with you, mm -hmm. I am trying to find out how is it that Will is listening to me? What is Will listening for? And as I become attentive to that and, and I connect with that, then that informs what I say, the speed at which I say it, the words that I use to color a point, uh, for instance, or the emphasis that I'll make. Uh, is Will listening to me and looking for facts and data? Is he thinking in a logical uh, framework? Or is Will thinking and listening for emotional connecting words, feeling words? And how can I then adapt to your listening so that I then can become a better speaker? And th that really is around, right, again, conversational intelligence and really cr creating a space so that we can elevate trust continually. Every interaction, we should be seeking to elevate trust in some way. And that's one way of doing it is through intelligent conversations. Do you, do you think salespeople give enough um, weight to thinking about these things ahead of time as part of their pre-call planning? Or is this something that they tend to gloss over and try to try to wing it? You know, this is a great question. So I'm, I'm also a sales professional. I spent um, many years uh, selling products and services. Now I've moved into uh, as a solopreneur. I offer my coaching services. Um, and, and one of the things that I noticed based on my previous experiences and what I've noticed with other folks who I coach is that um, we depend a lot on our ability, our charisma to be present in the moment. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a jazz musician. And so I learned improvisation early on in my life. And it feels like the improvisation of music has had then translated into the improvisation in conversations. It could be a performance conversation. It could be a sales conversation, right? Manager to employee or right. a salesperson to a client. And a lot of times we may depend a lot on our ability to dance in the moment and improvise. And what I'm talking more about these days is how can we plan, better plan for these things? How can we better um, think about what is it that I want to do? What do I want to accomplish with the person in front of me? What do I want them to feel as they're having a conversation with me? And what's the call to action that I'd like for them to accept at the end of our conversation? To be able to think about it, to frame it, to picture it. And then once we've, we've designed that path, we can then walk the path. The improvisation doesn't allow us to do that. The improvisation is essentially forcing us to be present and in the moment, which I believe we always should be. However, it, it, it also facilitates us moving in directions that neither of us wanted to go in, chasing rabbits down holes we never intended to go down. Right. Um, and instead of being strategic to get to an outcome, we're just having a conversation. Um, and 
it might not be a sales conversation. It might not be even a, a really valuable conversation. It was just a courteous discussion and an exchange of ideas that has impacted neither of us. We just spent some time throwing around ideas. Um, so planning is, hmm? go ahead. I was going to say, and certainly part of it has to be the salesperson has to be have a level of adaptability and flexibility because of the type of conversation and communication you're talking about when they actually get into the dialogue with the customer it might be different for them what he or she was expecting, right? So they, they need to be able to pivot in the moment. Absolutely. And so with that, with that said, and I love how you brought that, brought that out, and I'm going to now tag the, the, the jazz improvisation side of this thing as well to bring this um, together. Um, I have a chord structure when I'm improvising, mm -hmm. right? I have a 12, uh, I have a, a, a structure and I know that I can design and do what I want to do in the moment because I already have mastered the chord structure. I know that after this B flat seven, I'm going to come down to a C and I know what I can do and I can take various, uh, various, um, uh, progressions and notes that I can play rhythms. I can play because I know, and I'm familiar with the structure. I've sat down and I've, I've looked at the 12 bars and I see where I'm going with this. If I'm able to master the content, and when I say content, I mean I'm able to think about this conversation, where I wanted to go, how I want to show up. If I'm able to take care of that, I can then put the content aside and I can focus on the second dimension of this very important conversation, which is the connection. Mm -hmm. I would actually say that the connection is the most important part of, of the sales conversation. Right. How can I connect with you emotionally, intellectually, so that then we can move in the direction that it's in your best interest, which is a, another conversation. But right. being able to plan and look ahead, have that, that chord structure, if you will, for the conversation, it allows me to be fully present in the moment. And when you say a word that I noticed um, was an emotional word, you, you may have mentioned frustrated. It allows mm -hmm. me to go, so tell me more. It's something like um, frustration is, is keeping you back. What else can you tell me? What does that look like for you to be frustrated? Now I'm able to get even deeper into the connection piece. Yeah. And as I do, hopefully I'm elevating my trust equity. Plus also the, the faster you're starting to establish that, that trust and credibility, the better the rest of the conversation is going to flow, right? You've only got so much time to start developing that up front. And so that leads me to um, sort of the next thing I wanted to get into, which is, so the words a salesperson uses when he or she is opening a customer conversation and and maybe even the words that they use in order to secure that conversation in the first place there's something that you call rejection free openings and perspective changers i'd love to get into that more and how you know how how do you get a salesperson to think think about that and prepare for it and what's and what's the value to the overall relationship building efforts to have these Again, quote, rejection-free openings and perspective changers. Yeah, so um, I, I do want to immediately give credit where credit is due here. I, I believe in attribution. And a, a lot of the work that I'm doing these days is around a book and a movement called Exactly What to Say by Phil M. Jones. And mm -hmm. the perspective changers and the rejection-free openings um, are part of Phil's work and work that I'm doing as a certified guide to help uh, guide conversations and help uh, salespeople guide their conversations. And so a rejection-free opening is what can I do to start the approach of a conversation? And I say approach so I can overlay it over um, integrity selling and mm -hmm. the aiding model that's at the heart of integrity selling, that approach conversation. Right. I can now start preparing and planning as we just discussed. 
Um, what could be my rejection-free openings when I approach a client? And there are various approaches that we can make. It could be that it's the first time we're meeting, or perhaps I need to make an approach because I sent an, a cold email or I left a voicemail and I haven't gotten a response back. I think that most people who are listening um, have experiences of being ghosted. Yeah. Right. And so, so uh, I'll share one of these sets of what we call magic words as a as a rejection-free opening. Um, we could say something like, "I'm guessing you haven't gotten round two, whatever it is." Right. So. Just by doing that, we're making an assumption that, hey, you are busy and you probably had the intent of doing it. And it, it, it allows me to, 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 to begin a conversation that otherwise I wouldn't know how to begin. And because I don't know how to begin it, I don't have it. Right. And so the re rejection free opening is, hey, most people won't have a conversation or salespeople may not ask for a sale or start the conversation because of fear of rejection, of getting a no. Yeah. But with, with preparing and having these, you know, uh, magic words that we call them inside of exactly what to say is, I'm guessing you haven't gotten around to, it's a good way for you to then continue the conversation, stay in the moment, and then hopefully have a valuable exchange with your client. And that, fe that fear of rejection is what we see over and over again is at the heart of when those, you know, really good questions don't get asked, right? It's all about that trying to <laughs> self-preserve and, and not get rejected. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you that th this gives you a way and inside of the, the material, the, the work that we do and is exactly what to say. We have a number of phrases and, and, and conversational prompts that can be used to start that um, that conversation in a, in a rejection free way. And the other one that you mentioned, which I think is also very powerful, is um, perspective changes. Yeah. Uh, what can I do? What can I do? How can I stay in the conversation with someone who has already in their mind and in the conversation made up their mind. They're fully convinced that this is the direction that they want. They may want to go down. And, and um, I work with, with internal consultants and external consultants and having this conversation particularly um, because a lot of clients will already have made up their mind. They mm -hmm. went and got the information. And so their decision may not be in our best interest for the, the, the value that we want to provide. One of the things we could do is safely introduce an alternative perspective, which is why we call it a perspective changer. I may ask you, so it sounds like you're really, you're really um, a certain about, let's say you're going to buy a car, right? So yeah. Will, you, you're, you're going to buy a, a, a car. You've done your research. You already know what type of vehicle you want to buy all as well. You even selected the color. You wanted a black car. You like the black on black. It's really elegant, sophisticated looking. And so you come in and you come fully convinced that you want the black car. I may... I may, I may know, well, you know what, Will may not want to maintain a black car. It shows a lot of dust, a lot of dirt. It takes a lot of washing, all of that kind of stuff. So I may want to introduce a perspective, change, a perspective changer, and I'll start it out with the following words. Will, what do you know about? What do you know about the effort that it takes to maintain a black car? What do you know about? the recent change in the regulation that now can impact what happens tomorrow once you've made your decision. Now, when you say, what do you know about or what do you understand about? It gives the other person the opportunity to um, save face. Maybe they don't know anything. Let's, we could assume that they don't know anything. Mm -hmm. They may say something like, well, I've heard about it, but why don't you tell me more? Right. Or, you know what? I know a little bit about, but I don't know about the, the most recent change. Tell me more about that recent change. And it allows you to stay in the conversation and then add value with whatever information you might have to further educate the buyer so that then they can make 
a decision that's in their best interest. So all of these, these, um, these perspective changers, these rejection-free openings are conversational prompts to enable our salespeople to stay in the conversation and still maintain a valuable exchange while respecting the other person. And I think the, the, the emphasis there that you, that you talked about is creating buying decisions that are in the customer's best interest. And it's so, Absolutely. you know, again, the, the word choices matter and the way the dialogue goes matters so that that is the, I want to say perception, but also, you know, the reality from the customer standpoint, that that's what they feel the salesperson in front of them is doing, right? Absolutely. And so that, that takes us to something that you mentioned earlier in the opening around what we do to elevate and why I believe we need to elevate our trust equity and um, elevate our influence. Um, the way I approach influence as opposed to manipulation, and right. I get this. It's two this, different things. Two di very two different. And it, it always comes up in trainings or that I do, whether with sales, coaching or consulting. Um, it always comes up. So what's the difference between interest, uh, influence and manipulation? And my, I've come to the, 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 the definition that influence is a permission-based interaction where I help someone else make a decision that's in their best interest mm -hmm. and may not, necess not necessarily be in mine. So it's in their best interest. It's a permission-based, so I didn't force myself into the conversation. I've yeah. generated enough value and enough trust for us to have this engagement, so you welcome the conversation. Right. And what I'm trying to do now is help you make a decision that's in your best interest. Now, that requires something else. For me to get there, I have to come away with a different perspective, talking about perspective changes. I have to come away with a different perspective of selling than what traditionally I was trained to have. I am not trying to get someone to buy a product or to sell them, to sell them on features and benefits. All of that is, is important. But I am now no longer trying to sell you will. What I want to do is help you make a buying decision. If you were to ask most people, who likes to be sold? Who All likes right. to be sold to? Most people will tell you, I don't like to be sold. But everybody likes to buy. And so if we look at it in, the, in that fashion and we say, you know what? Will is Will doesn't like to be sold, so I'm not going to try to sell Will. Will likes to buy things that he knows are meet a need, satisfy a desire. And what my role as a sales professional is to help Will make a buying decision that's in his best interest. And hopefully he'll choose my product, service, or idea in order to satisfy his desire. And like you said before, the, the customer might came in with some preconceived notions or, or a bias that part of your role as the salesperson is to help them question that and unravel it in a way that again is is informative, um, not manipulative, that sort of thing. Yeah, and, and and being in the moment for that kind of stuff is going to be important. Let's say, for instance, I'm I can anticipate that the the client is going to reject an offer that I'm making. I can I can already see it. I can, mm -hmm. I, can I see the buying signals of it. Yeah. I may come up with one of these, these magic words from exactly what to say. And I may say something like, Will, before you make up your mind, would it be helpful if I, mm -hmm. and then pre present something there? Again, I, because I've mastered my content, my role in the sales conversation is now going to be to master the connection, to follow the cues, to be fully present, to, to understand how is it that Will is listening and be able to then supplement or meet you at your listening. So th those, these things are not well done when they're improvised. 
right. to kind of come full circle. Yes. You can't do this. In, in, it, it doesn't work well. It doesn't work well. We need to plan for it. We need to prepare ourselves and we need to be in the moment so that when the when the moment is right and the lights are turned on, I can go ahead and, and, and present um, in present my, my case in, in, in a compassionate way. And conversely, they also can't be scripted, right? Because you can't just be bulldozing ahead with, well, I'm going to say this because I got to get this in about the, you know, the great feature and benefit here about what, the, you know, the, the product or the service, whatever it may be, no matter what the customer or prospect has been saying. Yeah, I, absolutely. You, you bring up another great point. This comes up in a lot of the trainings that we do. Recently, I was with a client uh, with Integrity Selling. Um, and they were saying, we like this program because it's not a script. We went through a couple of programs that gave us, you know, word for word scripts and we just didn't like it. It felt robotic and inauthentic. And that brings us to, to the point around this is that what we're preparing for are to listen for certain cues. We're preparing for what are some of the, the words that I can use to start the conversation. Um, and, 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 and even still. Let me say, I'll say this, that we could probably script something, but just because it's scripted doesn't mean it's inauthentic. And I think that there's a distinction there that we need to start to, to explore a little more mm-hmm. because that's, we'll get a lot of pushback around that in certain, certain trainings. Well, um, I don't want to actually write down my opening statement, for instance, or my declaration of intent for this conversation because it feels robotic. It feels fake. I, you know, I need to, I need to shoot, I need to make, do this off the cuff. Um, and it brings me to an, an old story, a friend of mine who back when I was younger, it was WWF and wrestling was a big thing. I think Stone Cold Steve Austin was the kind of the big star yeah. of those years. Yeah, I and, um, <laughs> and, and I remember having a conversation with a diehard WWF fan who was a friend of mine. And I, I remember telling him, you, you spend so much time watching that. That's fake. That is, that is so fake. And he was so upset about it. And he yells to me a phrase that I've yet to forget. And I, and I take it with me wherever I go. He said, it's not fake. It's scripted. <laughs> That's a good way to put it, yeah. <laughs> and and, and it, it came to me, uh, and, and that's why I hold dear to that story. It was, it's pretty funny, but it's actually very educational to think, you know what? Um, I'm not being fake because I'm scripting it. I'm just being very prepared, yes. and I am showing that I honor the person in front of me enough to plan for what might happen. Right. It doesn't mean it's necessarily going to go that way, but I'm going to plan so that I honor the conversation and you in the conversation we're about to have. Yeah. Um, a related thing I wanted to ask you about, and, and you touched on it in your previous uh, answer here, is around virtual selling and when salespeople are on Zoom versus across the, the table from someone. So how is, how is that, I don't wanna say new reality, it's now been going on extensively for, <laughs> well over two years um, but how has the, the the drastic shift more to virtual selling impacted this idea for salespeople because you're you're less able to cue in on somebody's body language they're you know oftentimes um, that initial conversation if it's if it's on on zoom is you have less time for it than an opening discovery conversation that maybe you would have had in person you know you might have 20 minutes not an hour that sort of thing so how have the things that you're talking about been impacted or what sort of special additional considerations do people have to, to make given the realities of, of virtual selling? I believe it was Mark Twain who's credited with this. He said, I didn't have time to write you a short letter, so I wrote you a long one. Yeah, that's a good quote, yes. 
And, and I, I think that, that that also translates into the conversation. Because we are in a, in a virtualized space, evermore, we are time limited. Even um, I was recently on a, on a Microsoft Teams uh, conference and I noticed that there was a timer. So you plan, you schedule a meeting mm-hmm. and it has a timer on the top and it's telling you, hey, this meeting is going to be over and it's a countdown timer. So there's an, an additional visual pressure to keep things truncated. Because of the fact that I only have 20 minutes, improvisation is not my friend. I need to be very direct. I need to be quite concise. I need to choose my words correctly. I need to choose words that will impact, that will generate um, an emotional response so that we can actually connect with the person. Mm-hmm. And improvising this is not the way to go. Right. Um, again, it, it, it's not that we're being fake or inauthentic. It's that we're being fully prepared for what might occur. And so being succinct, choosing the right words for, for the impact that we want to have is going to be really, really key in our virtualized spaces. Um, number one. Number two, I think that it also allows us, because we're able to pr- plan and prepare for what might happen in the conversation, it allows us to concentrate more on creating the connection that we are not going to have if we were in person, right? Proximetrics or proximity and the energy that we can feel from the other person who's in front of us is no longer there. Right. So what are some other things I can do to focus my attention in this small screen where I see another person with maybe a really blurry background or a, a really clear background? I may not know, um, but it allows me to focus on being with the person in that space so I can create a, con- a connection that I otherwise wouldn't be able to connect because I'm not in person. And you were talking when you talked earlier about um being influential versus manipulative and how they're two drastically different things. How, how can a salespeople keep, how can a salesperson keep moving a customer conversation forward without being manipulative, without being viewed as manipulative? That's, that's often, that's, that's often easier said than done. Right. And, you know, what is it about things like, for example, the negotiation phase that can start to become to be perceived as manipulative and therefore start breaking down the conversations. So as I mentioned earlier, in how I uh, define influence, it's a permission based interaction, where I help someone make a decision that's in their best interest. So the key here in response to the question is it's permission based. The selling conversation, the coaching conversation, the consulting conversation, should be one that we do not do to someone or do for someone, but that we do with them. This is the permission-based side of this. It's a big, so dis- as a I, big, distin- big distinction please. there, right? Or yeah. Oh, absolutely. To someone absolutely. versus with someone. You're standing side by side with them, yeah. Yeah. The, the person in front of me is not someone who I, who, is, who I consider an object for my own benefit, which I'm going to say a transactional sale um, or pushy sale is going to do. I'm treating you as an object uh, so that I can hawk my products and get a return on that that um, that thing that I sell to you. Um, this is something that we do with people, which is what humanizes the conversation and what allows us to, to position ourselves for trust. And it's a permission-based way. So if I'm going to go back to um, preparing my opening statement, in the next 20 minutes, I'd like to discuss how... Um, some of the challenges you're having and what might be some of the solutions that may be uh, available for you to, to find uh, satisfaction in that. The permission-based side of this is ending my statement with a question to the person in front of me. How does that sound to you? What else is on your mind that you may want to discuss in the next few minutes? 
a lot of people that I, I work with are afraid of asking that follow-up feedback question because they're afraid that the client is going to go in a direction that they didn't want to go into themselves originally. Right. But they make things but worse I, for themselves by not asking it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because if you do not ask the question, I'm going to state this pretty strongly and dogmatically. If we do not ask the feedback follow-up question, we are not getting permission to proceed and we are set, setting ourselves up later to be denied or rejected when we make an offer because we never got permission in the first place to proceed with the conversation. Mm -hmm. And so that's going to be really key, I think, is finding ways of ensuring that as we are, I'm going to put uh, performing in air quotes because um, as we're having sales conversations, particularly they are performances. As we are preparing our performances, let's find ways of intermittently and throughout the conversation, engaging with the client and asking feedback questions. How is it going for you? What else might be on your mind? What are some of the thoughts about what I just shared? Mm -hmm. What's your initial reaction to the information I just gave you? Getting them to give you feedback allows you to continue to gain permission to continue the conversation. And it allows you to, to support your client so that, again, you can build trust equity. It, it really is around right. every point of the game, every statement we make, every question that we ask in, a, in, a, in an honest way is going to allow us to build trust equity with the person in front of us. Something that when, when you and I were, were talking previous, previously um, that I've heard you say, and I know you say this a lot to sales teams, is that objections are a gift. Can you, that's probably counterintuitive to what a lot of salespeople think. Can you, but can you elaborate on, on, on what that means and why you think that's the case? Yes. yes. Be, because my role as a sales professional is to help you make a buying decision and not to try to sell you something, the negotiation is not a way for you to get what you want and make me suffer in, in, in exchange. The negotiation step, particularly inside of the eight ink model of integrity selling, um, I say that um, objections are a gift because they tell me that the client is about to make a decision or is considering a perspective, but they're stuck. Right. They know that they're about to, they're being introduced to something that sounds like it might work, but for a couple of reasons, I'm not ready to make a commitment on this, or I'm not sure I, I can make a commitment, or I'm still feeling a little vulnerable right now. I don't know if I have enough information to proceed. Or um, I'm not feeling all that competent to say yes or no. I, I need a little more from you. Generally, the objection is going to be a gift because they're telling you, I'm still in the conversation, but I need more. And so if we look at it in, in that fashion, if we look at, at objection as a gift, what it's telling us is my client needs something more and I, I'm being invited to offer it to them. Oh. If, they need, if they need a little more proof, about the claim that I made that this is this product um, can last uh, for for can work for twenty thousand hours without needing um, any uh, any maintenance repair. That's a big claim. They may want more proof. So they go, ah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that uh, you're as good as as the last. I don't think that you, your 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 devices can do this. Well, right. that's a gift because I have them thinking about what it looks like for them to utilize my product. Now, what is it that I can do to, 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 uh, to address the need that you've, um, that you've just given to me, right? And, and there's a model inside of integrity selling. There's a model that they call the ACR to be able to do that. Um, but as soon as we start to look at people pushing back at us as a gift, it'll allow us to come 
next side by side with the partner, right? I, I can stand side by side with this prospect or this client and we can look at the issue together instead of me looking like I'm the issue to the, cl the client. Now I'm going to position myself. I go, so what can we do to overcome that right now? What information might, might, might we discuss right now in order to address what you just, you, you just presented? Well, I'd like to see white papers. I'd like to see this. Guess what? It's a gift because they told you what they wanted. Right. They're, so they're, now, they're, they're pinpointing for you where you need to help fill in any remaining gaps. Absolutely. And, and so if we're able to do that, they're going to give us the answers for what it is that they need in order to make a buying decision. I don't have to find ways of trying to push or convince them. And, and this requires, once we do this, once we start to look at the negotiation phase of our sales conversations and objections as gifts, it removes the adversarial nature of traditional negotiation. No longer am I trying to um, get you to pay the highest price and you're not trying to get me to sell you at the lowest price. That's not what we're doing here. Because when there is no trust, when there is no trust in the negotiation, what we're going to end up doing is bargaining. Bargaining is not negotiation. So if I'm able to position myself next side by side and figure out what is it that you need in order to make a, a more informed, a confident buying decision, I'm going to position myself side by side with you to actually make that happen because that objection is keeping us from solving the issue that you told me you had. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that we need to start to reimagine and change our perspective around negotiation because negotiation isn't a bad word and it's not a bad thing. It just should be to use the, the title of Chris Voss's um, book, Never Split the Difference. It should not be that we look at negotiation as we're going we're gonna to throw prices at each other and we're going to have a tug of war. And to end this thing, we're going to split the difference. Right. I don't think it should be that way. That's the way it's been presented. I think more this is a way for us to handle a client's objection and be able to position me as your partner in order to make a buying decision that's in your best interest. I was just going to say, it goes back to that idea of what you talked about before, of that it's all about creating a buying decision in the customer's best interest. And that's what the negotiation phase should be focused on, right? Absolutely. And if you've done, if you've done your due diligence in, in planning for the critical conversations that are going to happen throughout this, this sales process or this sales continuum, I've, I've planned how I'm going to approach and broach the subject with a client. I'm going to plan my opening statement. I'm going to plan certain critical questions that, that let the client know that I really know your business and I really want to know a little bit more about what's the pain points that you're suffering and, and what might you consider as an alternative to, to getting over this pain. And so I, I, I craft my questions very strategically in order to get that information out there. Then I find ways of connecting how my product, how my service, how my idea may actually be an alternative solution for what you want to do. And once I've done that, now I've earned the right to, to, for you to say, what, what else might keep you from making a decision today to, to, to adapt my idea or my product into your, your service stack? Right. Well, I'm not sure. Perfect. This is great. This is a gift. Thank you for telling me this because I know that at least you're considering it. And so I'm going to position myself here now in the conversation to help you, support you. Because then if the, if the concern during negotiation is around, you know, they want more clarity on around like risk mitigation, right? Risk mitigation is a huge part of a lot of buying cycles. Again, they're telling you exactly where they need more clarity from you. They're not shutting you down. They're just telling you where they need more. Absolutely. And, and so if, 
if we are able to think about this in positive terms and stay away from what we're calling the amygdala hijack, staying in the amygdala and trying to figure out fight or flight as soon as, as an objection comes to us, and even a rejection comes to us in the form of a no. If we're able to come, stay outside of the amygdala and stay a little more in the executive mind, the prefrontal cortex, right? And find ways of asking some really powerful questions to really understand what's behind you saying you have this objection. What makes you say that is a great question. Versus why are you saying that? Which can be a little combative. The term, the word why can be a little combative. And this is getting to why I say that our words have to be really well structured. Um, I may not want to ask you why, because it's too direct. But I may ask you, what makes you say that? Mm-hmm. What's driving that decision right now? I'm still getting to the heart of the matter, which is the reason why. Right. But I'm doing it. it it, Please. It's it's that idea. Like you said, you're getting to the heart of the matter. The whole idea is that, again, you're doing a side-by-side journey with somebody to get them where they want to be. You also talked with me before we started about what you call the power of no-oriented questions. What What does that look like? And... And what does that provide a, a salesperson in regards to, to understanding customer needs and building trust equity and all of that? Yeah, yeah. So I've um, I've been influenced quite a bit around this concept of no by uh, Jim Camp, a famous negotiator. Uh, he wrote a book called Start With No. Um, and he was actually the influence or one of the influencers um, of um, Chris Voss's New York Times bestseller, Never Split the Difference. And one of the things that um, I've taken from that is that Um, In a lot of traditional sales conversations, let's say even telemarketing uh, to a great extent, we were trained to get people to say no, uh, yes as often as possible because that positive yes and getting them to shake their heads is going to lead to an affirmative signing on the dotted line or hitting add to cart and, and buy now, right? So we were trained to get people to do that. And my contention here is that most people know that we're doing that as salespeople, I recently had someone come into my home. I invited them into my home, actually. I was considering um, some updates in in solar uh, panels. Mm -hmm. And um, he was shrewd enough to ask me, so what do you do for a living? And I told him, well, I'm I'm an executive coach and I train sales professionals. And uh, and I said, I'm going to tell you immediately. I'm not going to make a buying decision today. I've invited you into my home because I need more information. I want to make a a well-informed education-based decision around this. So he says, oh, that's great. He says, um, listen, um, you know, I really love your feedback on how I do, uh, you know, once we're finished with the conversation. And so, all right, perfect. And he begins with his litany of questions. And every one of them will. Every one of them was a yes-oriented question. Do you want to save money? Yes. Do you want to save the environment? Yes. Do you want to, do, do, do you want to have, um, uh, build more equity in your home? Yes. Every one of them was a yes-oriented question. Yeah. And I felt like he was doing something to me because if I didn't say yes, I'd be a liar. Right. But it feels and like he's just pulling you down a path versus opening, opening up possibilities. Yeah. So it, it, what, what's going to end up happening in my mind is I've said all of these yeses and I've nodded my head in, a, in affirmation. He goes, so it makes sense for you to, to make this purchase today, right? What can I do? What, what can I say there? I'm going to say no, but hold on a minute. Did you not just say yes to everything I just asked you? Now you've put me in a position to defend my character and particularly in the American culture 
we don't the one thing that we don't want to look as or appear to be are hypocrites that that that's a smack in the face nobody wants to be called a hypocrite and so one of the things that um i learned from from jim camp and i've i started to introduce it into my my talks and in my training is that there should be an interaction so that it doesn't feel like you're doing something to me but with me that have no oriented questions so instead of saying so um do you want to save money on your utility bill yes i may say are you paying a fair price on for your utilities do you feel like you're paying a, a, a fair price for your utility no no I, i don't think i am that word no is probably the most powerful word in any language because as long as i'm saying no i feel like i'm in control i feel like i'm still influencing what's happening in front of me and that's exactly what we want in the sales conversation we want our clients because they are the ones who ultimately will make the decision they have the power to say yes or no at the end of my presentation mm -hmm. and so i want them to feel powerful throughout the conversation and so by orienting questions so that they can say no I'm allowing them to feel part of this and into and engage so that they don't feel like I'm doing something to them but I'm doing it with them and always always doing this from a position of authenticity and honesty. I have, I have to say my my experience with um solar sales people <laughs> is pretty my personal experience is pretty jaded and a lot of them would really stand to do well to take some of your advice. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that they they would, um, and even even in the conversation, um, let's go back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of you buying a new car. Will, all right? Right. We've you've got a you've got a new car. You came you bought the new car. I was your salesperson. You came in, and I already knew that you you found all the information you wanted to find on online. You've come prepared. You want what what my role is to take you on that test drive. And then to be a goal between be, between the finance manager and you as he marks up or she marks up the um, the, the 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 document with their red sharpie. I don't know if yeah. you've ever had that experience. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So that I know that that's my role. So as we're going through this, we went on the on the on uh, on our test drive. You loved the vehicle. I was noticing that you were enjoying it, but you were trying to hide it because you didn't want to show me that you really liked this car. As you're sinking into the leather, uh, the leather of that vehicle, and you feel the, the torque of that 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 car just pulling you into the, the 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 car, and and you go over a bump and you barely feel it. The suspension is nice and soft, and you're enjoying this. And I can I can notice it, but I'm not going to call it out. I'm letting you have your moment. And when we get back to the dealership, we agree on the price, and everything is good. And I, as your trusted advisor, as your partner, in making one of the biggest decisions, buying decisions you're going to make. Um, in in the next couple of years mm -hmm. i may say well before we move ahead i know you came in here wanting the black vehicle you have any concerns about the maintenance of that black vehicle now as a sales right. manager i may not tell my people hey you don't want to slow the, the sale down because if they're ready to go they're you, sign on the dotted line right Right, just get them to sign on the dotted line. But I'm not just trying to sell you something. I want to help you make the best buying decision that's in your best interest, and I want to position myself as your partner. So I may ask, you have any concerns about the car being black and the maintenance that it takes? Well, actually, I thought about it. I appreciate you bringing it up, Stephen. Well, you're welcome. He says, you know what? I've got two kids. They've agreed that if I bought this car, they would wash it every week. I think I'm good. Perfect. Will, do you have any other concerns before we move forward? No, right. I think we're good. And just Please. that sort of subtle 
not subtle, but just taking the time to do that, even though, like you said, you might be on the precipice of of closing that deal, goes so much further in building that that trust equity. And maybe you're, what you're developing there is not only that sale, but you're developing a, a repeat customer at that point too. Absolutely. I, my, my reason for being in this profession is to add value to people's lives. And I want you to make the best buying decision in your best interest. If it means that my product or service is not for you, it's okay. I'm okay with that because if you bought my product, I would probably be doing you a disservice. Let's, and, let's, and that's not good for me. Mm-hmm. Let's get back to when you were talking about the, the solar example. It yeah. um, prompted the other thing I wanted to ask you. And, and so the person that's asking the constant yes questions, that's how he or she has been prepared, right? That's what they've been taught. Absolutely. What is it about sales training and, and coaching that falls short when it comes to all these things that, that we're discussing about, whether, you know, conversational intelligence and word choices and, all of those things, what, what do companies developing salespeople need to do better to get them in tune with these things and get them bought, you know, bought into it? I think that we need to change our definition of customer. We've gone through um, an evolution of moving away from product-based selling to customer-based selling. And I think that that, that was a, a powerful evolution and, and, and we're making great strides there. However, I think that there's one level deeper that we have to get to. There's a distinction. And again, words matter, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is kind of what, why I'm talking about this. There's a distinction between a customer and a client. And, and it's beyond just the client is the person who's actually inside of my CRM and they've bought product and they historically buy product. It's beyond that. It goes to the, the, the heart of the humanizing of the word client, which means to care about and care for somebody. Mm-hmm. Both of those need to be combined in how we approach people, particularly as sales professionals. The reason I'm having this conversation with you in terms of inviting you to make a purchase decision or a buying decision to satisfy this, this need or resolve this problem is because I care about you and I care for you. And if we're able to start to introduce that concept a little more inside of our selling programs, in, inside of training and inside of organizations at, at the front line, that the reason I am making this phone call is because I care about and care for you. The conversation is going to go a lot better than otherwise uh, because we are actually doing something in the service of somebody else, which then takes me to a, a final point on, on the question and the thought is that. One of the things that we found um, uh, in surveys is that uh, m- uh, most salespeople, I think it's something around 70%, don't ask for the, the, the commitment to action or the close, the call to action, or, the, or they don't ask for the sale. Hmm. Um, and, and that's an issue. That's an issue in and of itself. Um, but to come back to this, one of the things that we need to, to start to realize is that if I've done my research, I know your problem. I have a product that can solve your problem. I would be doing you harm if I did not present it to you as right. often as I could and invite you to make buying decisions in the frequency that you shouldn't be making them. 
So I would be harming you if I didn't make you the offer and I didn't make the, 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 the connection, if I didn't prepare for the conversation, I would do you harm because you're either going to use an inferior product, service, or an idea, or you're not going to make any change at all. And so for me, the selling profession is one um, that, is, that is honorable. Yeah. That is honorable. And it, we have, as sales professionals, we have both an ethical and moral obligation to find the right people who are in need of a product, service, or an idea that we have and present it to them as often as possible. Because if I didn't, I'd be doing them harm. It's a great way to talk about it because, like you said, it goes back to what we talked about much earlier, which is your your responsibility is to help the customer or client make a decision that's in his or her best interest. And to your point just now, if you're not asking for the sale, if you're not helping them make that step, that's not in their best interest, right? And that's a that's a mindset shift probably that a lot of salespeople need to have. It's a conversation I have quite a bit with um, insurance agents and insurance professionals, mm-hmm. Is I, 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 particularly the, the ones who are earlier in their careers. I don't want to seem pushy. So right. I, I just, I, I scheduled another call and I'm going to see what happens. And nothing ever happens or materializes thereafter. What kept you? The question is, what kept you from making the offer? I, I, I just didn't feel like they were uh, in the right mindset. Well, what harm have you caused them by not making the offer for the insurance product you wanted to put in their hands? What could happen as a result of them not saying yes to you? What harm did you cause them? Every time, Will, every time I ask the question, you see the eyes light up and you see something like, oh, my goodness. There is value in my product, which is one of the things that we like to teach inside of integrity selling. Yeah. One of the pieces or elements to our congruence model is belief in the product. If I know that this product can solve an issue and I don't present it to you, I've done you harm and I've done something wrong. Right. That, that belief in the product one way or the other, if you have it or not, is going to be such an influential factor on if things move ahead. And that's just it's based on what's between the salesperson's ears. Right in, in their uh, in their heart. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this is uh, this has been a really good conversation, Stephen. Thank you again for joining us today. I want to um, invite everyone that's been listening to get more of, of Stephen's perspectives. Uh, you can visit Stephen's website at upwardmindset.com, where you can also get his ebook, which is called Five Steps to Saying No with Grace. Uh, you can also follow and, and connect with Stephen on LinkedIn. That's uh, Stephen with a V and Lozada, L-O-Z-A-D-A. And you can also follow Stephen on Twitter at Rev Stephen Lozada. So again, thank you to all of you for listening to us today. Um, Stephen, thanks so much for joining us. You brought some really great perspectives that um, are just so tightly aligned with the the goal of this podcast, which is, is shifting uh, the mindsets and beliefs about in salespeople and, and, and what's possible for them. Thank you. It was, it was a pleasure to be here. Thank you for your trust in having this conversation with me. And thank you for allowing me to be in front of your audience. And for, for everybody listening, please, uh, wherever and however you're listening to us, um, please subscribe so that um, you can be notified about future episodes. Leave us a comment or rating. The feedback is tremendously helpful. And thank you again for joining us. We look forward to having you join us next time. You've been listening.
listening to Mental Selling, an Integrity Solutions podcast. Stay in touch with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player and following us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Please give us a rating, leave a comment and share episodes you love. That helps us keep empowering sales and service leaders to master the mental side of selling. Until next time, let's go out and create amazing customer experiences.